Hey guys, welcome to Stories from the Influencer Economy. This is Ryan Williams. Each week I speak with entrepreneurs and creators launching the next big thing online. Excited you're here for episode number 34. We're with Jason Gaynard this week. He's the author of Mastermind Dinners, available on Amazon right now, as well as the creator of the Mastermind Talk series. I'm excited to remind everyone that I published a book about creating and launching your podcast. It's a guidebook and free tip sheet for making and marketing your podcast in 2015. And there's an airplane going over my head right now, but I'll continue. I would love to give you this book, something I wish I had when I started my podcast. If you're interested in the free guidebook about launching your podcast, email me, ryan at influencereconomy.com or hit me up on Twitter at Ryan J. Will. Either way, look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening. Without further ado, this is a great episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm chatting right now with Jason Gaynard. Jason, welcome. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Uh, happy to have you. Uh, we first tried to connect, and there was a torrential downpour in uh, your hometown outside of Toronto. Yeah. And so I'm happy to get you on the line today. Well, I wanted good audio quality for your listeners, so I had to make sure I was in my, my studio. <laughs> and wanted to have you on the show for a variety of reasons. You're uh, the founder of Mastermind Talks, which is an event that you've had for the last two years. And you're host of the Mastermind Talks podcast as well. And previously, you've run influencer dinners. I know you've had a background. You used to be a mechanic, and you dropped out of high school. And you have, you have quite a, a, an amazing story to tell. So what I'd love to do is just introduce yourself to the audience, what you're up to now. Um, so yeah, I mean, my story really, really quickly is I, I mean, I'm not uh, an entrepreneur by, by training. I don't have an MBA or something like that. I dropped out of high school initially. I started a service-based business. Where was this? Uh, in Toronto. Okay. And, uh, I started a service-based business and I realized that service-based businesses are hard to scale, which was a personal concierge business. We'd run errands for people and stuff like that. And we pivoted into an online e-commerce business, which I grew to be rather successful. It was about $6 million a year over four years with no outside investments. And I was living my model of success, but I was unhappy. Um, you start kind of, kind of clamming up Maslow's hierarchy needs and start asking yourself, well, why am I here? And will I be remembered and all that kind of stuff. And consciously I decided to sell my business subconsciously I started to kind of remove myself from it and eventually became comfortable with the idea of just scaling it down to zero to start something new from scratch that would, you know, actually give me fulfillment on some level. Yeah, you were saying uh, that you talk about uh, legacy, not currency. Yeah. So in the end, you'd rather be known for something that you cared about, give something back than just making a lot of money. 100%, yeah. Well, like my model of success at the time was purely financial, which is like most people, right? But the only thing is, it's oftentimes it's an empty goal. And once you start getting close to it, you're like, I don't, I'm not feeling as happy as I thought. I would. Yeah, and it's, totally. it's a scary feeling. I know a lot of entrepreneurs that they, you know, they build this business, they sell it, they pocket 50 million, hundred million, something like that. And then, you know, they turn to like drugs and alcohol three months later or, you know, six months later, they buy back the business because they just, they have too much time in their hands. They don't know what to do yep. and because their identity is often tied to that business. So, and that really defines them who they are. hundred percent. Absolutely. You know, it's like, it's like a Michael Jordan retiring from basketball. You know, what do you do if you're at the top of your game? Exactly. Like, what on now? Even if you have a lot of money, it still doesn't mean you're fulfilled. Exactly. Yeah. So I wanted to create something. So yeah, so I ended up uh, scaling that business down. Uh, unfortunately, two things happened that were beyond my control that landed me a quarter million dollars in debt, which was August of 2012. And that was for the first time in a long time. I had no business, no cash flow. I had a six-month-old daughter. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. How old and is she now? She's turning three. I said a daughter a year ago. Oh, congrats. It, it gets better. It gets yeah, significantly the, better. That was one of the reasons why I started the podcast. I'm writing the book. 
was good. I had, the, I had moments where I'm like, I gotta, I gotta be able to tell her at least when I had the moment in my life where I could change my direction of my career that I did it versus waiting, you know, having her have some guy who works a lot of hours as a father and isn't as fulfilled. Yeah. I mean, I, I, one thing, well, one of my core reasons for doing my, my podcast, um, it's, well, A is to get content out there, but if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I'm leaving nothing behind. I had a friend actually, phenomenal human being, amazing entrepreneur who passed away last Monday uh, from uh, cancer, stage four cancer. Oh, wow. And it, it he had an, an amazing outlook on life. Thankfully, I was able to interview him before he passed, but um, though he's, he didn't know, he didn't do any other interviews, he didn't do any content out there. And I was like, this is one person, like it was a true gem and I wish he left something behind. So there's huge importance, you know, from a legacy perspective, doing what we do to some capacity. It was interesting. I was, uh, so I, I'm moving and I took, I take my daughter breakfast like every, every day at the same place. That's oh, that's like, awesome. Four, four blocks away. <laughs> and, and the restaurant loves her. She like throws eggs on the floor and they don't even care. And uh, I was making a video to say, hey, this is like our last time, you know, this week walking and I was, it was this bizarre feeling. I got kind of sad because I'm thinking like, what if she actually learns about me at some point based on the video because she doesn't remember these experiences? So the whole world of content, like, it's fascinating to think that your family or your lineage could learn about you yeah. well after you're gone through this legacy that you hope adds value to people but has such a different meaning for your, your, uh, sure. your, fr your friends and your family. No, I mean, one one thing I, I did, and I was hoping to do it every year, but I haven't kept it up yet, uh, was at the end of her first year, I made a, a video, which I was like a montage of all the videos. And it was like, uh, the title was a, a, a Year Through Your Father's Eyes. And it just it was like going through the process of from the time she was born and my wife was saying her water broke and I had it all on video all the way up to her first birthday. Um, and yeah, that, I mean, that stuff is priceless, getting that stuff on camera. So Yeah, well, that's great. So, so this is a great sidetrack to get on. Sure. <laughs> um, it really is. We could talk, we could talk about parenting. Yeah, yeah, yeah we could. Um, but the uh, mastermind talks and just generally your career, your career arc is going in debt. And that wasn't long ago. What, that was like three years ago? 2012. Yeah, August of 2012. That's, so I just had my second anniversary recently. <laughs> what did you do? Did you just like go out and you're like, oh, we're not going to spend any money tonight to celebrate. <laughs> no. <laughs> It's 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 funny. I mean, oftentimes we we overestimate what we can accomplish in a day, but underestimate what we can accomplish in a year or two years. And it was just, I mean, my life has changed on every level uh, in the span of two years, and it's nothing short, at least in my eyes, is remarkable. And it just shows that we all have that that possibility. So, yeah. So, uh, take us back to when you were in debt. Sure. Yeah. And some of the some because you took some risks to get out of that debt. I did. I threw some hail marys yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to get out of it, and you know, in hindsight, they were it was very risky. Uh, and at the time, you know, I just kind of followed my my gut intuition. But um, yeah, I mean, August was when it was I kind of hit my lowest of the low, and then uh, I didn't know what I was going to do next as far as a business. But I knew I didn't want to start another business that didn't light me up. So. Uh, somebody actually posted on Facebook that they had an extra ticket to go see Seth Godin in New York. And I've always been a huge fan of Seth, but I've never had an opportunity to actually see him speak live uh, in a, like an intimate environment. Like every once in a while, he holds these workshops. So I jumped at the opportunity because I had no other obligations at the time. And um, I went out to this event and I didn't know what it was about, but uh, the, the, the premise of it was a connection economy and how there's huge value connecting like-minded individuals. And at the time, I'm like, there's no group as disconnected as entrepreneurs because everybody's working in their own little silos and stuff like that. So I started doing these things called mastermind dinners where I'd invite six to eight entrepreneurs who didn't know each other and would help try to help facilitate connecting them over dinner. 
And the first one I did, I almost canceled two hours prior because I'm like, nobody's going to see value in this. They're going to think I wasted their time. They're going to think I'm a joke. <laughs> but thankfully, because uh, it was only two hours before the dinner, I had to go through with it. Were you reaching out to friends of friends or cold emails? or Those were cold. I would, yeah. So those, I think that I had eight people. Um, and I actually have a, a, a how-to guide coming out uh, January about this because I have a lot of people asking. But oh, I did it the wrong way initially. I had like two or three people I knew and the rest were I reached out to cold. And before, oh, wow. I was lucky. I was lucky if I got like a 5% response rate to the, this outreach. And now I just held the dinner in New York. I reached out to 33 people, a lot of them like best-selling authors and friends and stuff like that, and 32 signed up. So uh, I've been doing this for a while now, and now so people know what to fire. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I really try to condense as much as I could into this this how-to book, which is called Mastermind Dinners. Oh, cool. Um, okay. And I'll, I'll definitely share it with you when it comes out. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'm sure people would love to, hear, to listen more about that because I think – the value of giving and helping people build their networks, you know, or becoming smarter from other people they would meet through you is just incredible. Yeah, it always comes back to and you. And there's no, and people always think like, what's an ROI? And there's not one. You just, you do it to do it. Like Adam Grant was one of my early podcast guests. And the fact that he proves that givers succeed more in life than takers. And they also fail more because they take more chances and could get taken advantage of. But that now that people are realizing you have to give to actually succeed in the long run. Yeah. And so you, when you realize that firsthand, like what was that like, like having these dinners and having them start to take off? Well, so the first one, that's when I got clarity that connecting people. You didn't cancel it. <laughs> no, I couldn't. Like I said, and I, I, I thank my lucky stars because if I didn't do that dinner, I would not be where I am today. Oh, wow. At all. Like I'll, you'll hear this part of the story. But basically at that dinner, I got clarity that connecting people was something I want to do to some capacity and not necessarily as a business because I wasn't monetizing these dinners at the time. I was actually paying out of pocket. So I was adding to my quarter million dollars in debt. But I saw so much value being created. And at the same time, I was I didn't know where rock bottom was for me. So I thought there was a good chance I was going to declare bankruptcy. And I thought to myself, the bank could take my car. They could take whatever measly assets I've left, but they can't take my relationships. My relationships were really, really the safest thing I could invest in at the time. And I believe that that was the case for me. And I believe that's the case for everyone. Oh, oh totally. Um, so I kept on doing these dinners and uh, people were getting great value. I just thought it would come back to me some day, some way. I mean, I'm always, uh, I just, I love relationships. I love helping amazing people. And um, about three months later, I guess two, three months later, I had an opportunity to do an event with Tim Ferriss. And um, this opportunity kind of fell in my lap and I had to uh, pull some strings to make it happen. But I saw it as an opportunity to do what I do in these dinners, but on a larger scale. So I'm like, if I could put 100 amazing entrepreneurs in a room and break even, then I just added 100 amazing people to my my network. And that's that's a social capital play. Like I, that I wasn't thinking about financially. I didn't think this was, was a business or anything like that. Um, and then five, six months later, we had mastermind talks. It was a huge success. So I decided to do a second event to prove that the first one wasn't a fluke to others and to myself. Uh, the second event was a huge success. And our third one is taking place in Napa Valley. And so when you had your first mastermind talks, uh, what was the format? And can you just explain... I guess to someone who has never heard of it before, like what the actual event is. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, what I thought it would be, the minute I pulled the trigger on Tim to uh, speak to what it was by the time I got on stage uh, at the first day of the event, uh, I mean, I probably pivoted 90 times. <laughs> like, I, I could have never imagined what the event would look like. Um, but basically, now the event is, it's an invite-only event. Um, 
yeah, yeah, we have a, a weird application process because it doesn't really open up to the general public. The first event we had, we had 4,200 entrepreneurs apply from all over the world. Uh, I went through every single application one by one. And those who I thought were a great fit, I, I'd send them an invita- invitation. And when they purchase a ticket, I hold a phone call with them. And in that phone call, I'd assess if they were a good fit. And if they okay. weren't, I'd, I'd refund their ticket. Uh-huh. So for the first event, I refunded $43,000 in paid tickets. How many people went to that first one? Uh, we capped the event uh, generally at 150. That one had about 130, uh, including the speakers, roughly 130, 140. Um, so we keep the events pretty intimate, and it's a high price point. This year's event six thousand dollars. So um, yeah, it's it's a it's it's a pretty intimate environment, and it's rather hard to get into. But that exclusivity is what you know everybody kind of talks about, and that's why there's so much kind of chatter about the event. And even though we're only going into our third year, um, I mean, the event is, we're four months away, and it's virtually sold out. So, and what's the con- what's the content people sign up for? Uh, so we don't. So that's the beauty of it. Um, is a year over year, we're moving away from what a traditional conference is because content's abundant. If you want to hear Tim yeah, Ferriss yeah. speak, you can watch his talks on YouTube. It's going to be you can Google him. It's going to be exact same talks. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. So, what the value of the event really comes down to quality people in the room. And for us, like that's the biggest kind of safety one? net. We could have terrible speakers, which we don't. We have amazing speakers, but we could have terrible speakers. But we know that. You know, with the people we have in the room, we can literally lock the door for two days and they get tremendous value just from connecting. And that's in like the worst case scenario. So from an event producer's perspective, it takes a lot of kind of weight off your shoulders. Um, So, but we always say like people may come to our events for content, but what they'll get at the event is connections and what they'll leave with is community. And we're very conscious of that. So we're very conscious of like the community that that comes out of Mastermind Talks. We have a closed Facebook group, which is highly curated. Right. Um, and a lot of times that people get more value from that online community post-event than they do from the event itself. And so when you started, like who were some of the first people you signed up? I heard you on another podcast say that you had booked some, like there's a putting dinners together, you book some people that may be easier to access to, to get the ball rolling for speakers dinners. And then- and then how does that work? How do you book events like that? Sure. So there's, there's two, uh, what advice actually, do you have for people? So this, I, it's, I actually talk about this in the book and I'm trying to remember the terminology, I, the terminology I use. So one is working up the food chain and the other one is anchor tenants. Okay. There we go. So oh, nice. Working up the food chain is actually uh, a, something I got from a friend of mine named Ryan Holiday. He wrote a book called Trust Me, I'm Lying. Oh, yeah, it's gro- a great book. Gro- growth Hacker Marketing and a few others. But um, in Trust Me, I'm Lying, he has a book trailer and he talks about, you know, in order to get into like the big media, like New York Times, that kind of stuff, usually what you do is you create a story or write something and send it to like a small blog. And then when that blog publishes it, then you, you, uh, anonymously like send it to a bigger blog and a bigger blog and eventually like links on a chain you work your way up and then it'll hit like the big stage and so one kind of school of thought is like if you're doing a dinner or an event and you want speakers uh and you have like your list of like 10 speakers reach out to the first one who would be the easiest to get oftentimes the one with like the least amount of influence or time demand um once you get there, yes, then you move to like the, the second person the third person because by the time you get to the seventh or eighth you already have that social proof that these other six people already signed up. Um, and then it's, it just gets significantly easier. Uh, so those first few are always the toughest. So there's that moving up the food chain type mentality. The other model is an anchor tenant. And this is actually what I use for mastermind talks. I use the mix of both for, for, for mastermind talks in our dinners, but for mastermind talks, I knew if I got, uh, if I got Tim Ferriss, um, I could get people who wanted to be connected to Tim Ferriss to speak at the event for free, or I can get people who are already connected to Tim, but they're never at the same place at the same time. So I could use the event as a catalyst to kind of reconnect them all. Cause these are all like 
you know, speakers traveling the world. Like, for example, one great example, I knew Tim was good friends with AJ Jacobs, who's a, another four-time New York Times bestselling author, and he's a mutual, mutual friend now. But I knew that I had Tim at the event, and it would be easy to get AJ at the event as well because they're friends, but they haven't seen each other for four years. Okay. Um, so that's how that kind of anchor tenant uh, philosophy works. But I dig into it more in the book, but that's, that's the gist of it, really. And then now that you're three years in, like how, how does the job change? Is it like do you have to live up to the expectations of past events? Oh, that's the that's the only difficult part. That's the only thorn, and that's nothing. That's something that's not going away. Like our first event went off without a hitch, no AV problems. Like it was, it was amazing. Was that also was was that in Napa Valley? Valley No, they've historically have always taken place in Toronto. Okay. So this is our first one outside of Toronto, and it's taking place in Napa Valley uh, because again we want to raise that bar year over year and. yeah, that was the problem. Was the first event went off without a hitch, and it put a ton of pressure on us for the second event to raise that bar yet again. Um, and we're never going to raise it as much as we did the first time because I feel like people's standards were pretty low when it came to events. But you know, we have to. I, if I can't raise the bar year over year, I'm sim- I simply won't do it. And I actually almost canceled this recent event uh, in July after selling one hundred fifty thousand dollars in tickets uh, because I wasn't one hundred percent confident I could raise the bar, and I didn't want my name attached to it. But when I went down to San Francisco and Napa Valley, started seeing venues, started to plan things out, then I became 100% clear that this event will be by far the best event we've done to date. Um, and I live my life one mastermind talks event at a time. Like the event is done April 30th, the night of April 30th, May 1st, I'm unemployed. I don't know what I'm going to do next. Maybe it's another mastermind talks event, but i you know, I treat this next event like it's the, the be all end all. And do you make enough money that you then live the rest of your, your year? Through that one event? Yeah, that one absolutely. Event. Yeah, I mean, with, with the price point we have um, and just the unique way we've kind of set up the event, uh, the first event we broke even, the second event we made a little bit of money, and this now we have the ball rolling, and we haven't even brought on any sponsors. We've never had a sponsor um, sponsor the event, so that's a huge revenue stream once we crack that. But for us, like I've always – I didn't want to bring in sponsors because sponsors oftentimes they want to like speak from the stage and it right. just ruins ruins the environment. And when you're spending five six thousand dollars to attend an event, and these people value their time more than they value money, I'm taking them away from their family, from their business. Um, I'm not going to have somebody pitch from the stage. And then how do you think? So you said you got forty two hundred people that signed up for the first talk for the first event. Yeah. How do you? How did you go from zero to forty two hundred? Was it the influencer dinners that laid the foundation, or getting someone like Tim Ferriss? No. So it. Uh, Give me all my secrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, you said you were open and honest. <laughs> I, I'm definitely honest and I'm definitely transparent. One thing I'm good at is asking questions. <laughs> That's why you have your own show. Yeah. Um, so there's two things we did. Uh, one, we did Facebook ads. Not a lot. Um, that was the only time we've ever paid for any kind of marketing. And we just did Facebook ads. We spent about $5,000 on Facebook ads and we did Google retargeting. So when okay. people would land on the website, okay. they would get retargeted by Google. And this was back when retargeting wasn't as big. This was like three years ago. Now it's all the rage. But um, so people were like, oh my God, Master My Docs is everywhere. Well, that's wow, so funny. <laughs> Now you're like, that's so obnoxious. I wish they'd stop tracking me. Exactly. 100%. <laughs> so, um, and we have a very different approach to, to marketing now. But um, so it was that, and we did something called an influencer blast, which I was actually something I got from uh, Tim had a blog post. Uh, Tim Ferriss had a blog post on his blog called How to Raise $100,000 on Kickstarter. And it was how to launch a successful Kickstarter. And the same methodology can be used if you want to launch a product, if you want to launch a podcast, if you want to launch a book. It's all the same. Um, and one of the things in that, uh, that, 
blog post was something called an influencer blast where basically you reach out to a select group of influencers who we already know and say, you know, within a 24-hour period, would you mind uh, blast, you know, sending this out to your Facebook list or yeah. sharing this on Facebook or sharing this on Twitter uh, if it's a value to your audience. It has to be done on, on an authentic level. Yeah, so if, if not, no worries, but if you can. Exactly, yeah. So a lot of people use that method now, so we don't do it anymore. But basically um, – I had 45 people uh, do it, um, and these were people who were attending the event, uh, who were speaking at the event, or who wanted to attend the event but couldn't and just wanted to kind of support me. Uh, and we had, s- I think, uh, seven, six thousand hit, yeah, six thousand hits to our landing page. Oh wow! Specifically from that, and about 768 or something like that signups. Um, and but the best thing was it was the quality of people that came from those signups was was a game changer for us, much better than any kind of you know Facebook ads we did and stuff like that. So um, that's how we got the majority of our applications for our first event. Uh, but it wasn't scalable. Like I I, I care immensely about the quality of people in the room, and I can't go through all these applications. That's why I kind of joked, I kind of laughed about it earlier. That we don't have a good system. Like people go on our website now, and I'll be a hundred percent transparent. We do nothing with that email list. Like. I don't send any emails where probably like eight, 9,000 people who are interested. And, uh, yeah, I just don't do anything with it. So we have to come up with some kind of system. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's how we did uh, marketed our first event. And what do you want people to take away that are attending? Cause you said, you mentioned before that the quality of the room is great. Even if people just didn't have lecture. Sure. Talks. Yeah. I mean, the, it, it's, it's the importance of the relationships I mean, bar none. I mean, that's, that's the only value of the event. Um, the speakers are speakers are this, just there to draw the right people in the room. Um, and then after that, it's, it's, it's getting people to connect while they're there. I mean, that's really what it is. It's, our next event, I haven't announced really any speakers um, for it, and it's already virtually sold out. Um, and that's the indication of like th- the people in the room know that the value is the other people in the room. Like that's what we we, we push is like these are the people you're going to meet. And the, the people you're going to meet are people who would speak on other people's stages. Like Cameron Harold is a friend of mine has been to all three of our events uh, and has signed paid attendee for our next event. He's a celebrated speaker from TED. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like these are people who would speak on other people's stages, but they're attendees at our events. So again, the, the value of the event is not the people on the stage. It really comes down to quality people in the room. And if somebody doesn't know that going into it, they realize that within the first few minutes of the event. What's your point about being able to find content online about Tim Ferriss or other speakers? It's ubiquitous. If you go to an event like South by Southwest, it's so noisy and messy. If you get a few good relationships out of it, then it's worth it. But so often these events come by so quickly and they're, they're fast or it's a blur and next thing you know it's over and your friends that you even wanted to meet up with you never even saw sure yeah i mean i know a lot of people and I, I don't know if i've done this myself but a lot of people i know don't buy tickets for events anymore um they just you know they buy a hotel suite oh, yeah. where everybody else is staying and they set up maybe a party or two totally. or a dinner or two and then that's it like you hear it all the time the best part of the event for a lot of people is like the time at the bar. You know what I mean? So why am I going to spend a thousand bucks or 2000 bucks on an event when I know the value is going to be meeting people at the bar. So we're very conscious of that and we build the entire event around connecting throughout the event. Um, so we have a, a little bit of a, a different approach, but yeah, totally. Yeah. From, uh, from my perspective, I'm actually doing, I do happy hours now. It's very low key. I go to New York and LA, San Francisco, and I get my friends that support the podcast but over time, I want to do maybe like a fireside chat. But I feel like the event system is so broken right now that like TED Talks, I love them, but they're they're snobby. You go to a TED, a, you, you go to a TEDx event, and you there's 12 talks, and you remember maybe one, maybe two. Yeah. I, I, 
it's all over, so random. It's all and then over you also the get events that they have panels. Panels, everyone is self-served and they're they're self-interested. And they only have a small window, so they want to promote as much as possible as fast as they can. So they become like walking billboards for whatever they're doing. And so I think that what you're doing, it sounds like, is more community-based. It's more about the people. It's less about the programmatic elements where you're not going to have a strict agenda that's like, okay, this is the keynote, and this guy's going to wear a microphone attached to his head, and he's going to talk to you about you know, how to market your ideas for 30 minutes. And it, it, it's like such a formulaic, and it's the same speakers at all these events, especially in the marketing world. Yeah, 100%. You know, you you get like recycled guests. So, so and, and I, they, the, the people that we deal with, they don't need more content. You know, what I mean, like like we kind of touched on, I mean, content's abundant, um, and what they need really is to be removed from their business. You know, once a year, and to connect with other amazing people, and uh, just through osmosis, kind of get ideas that way. And our highest rated aspects of our event, by far, by far, is our peer to peer roundtables. We do on day two of our events. Uh, we do these roundtables where we we'll run eight roundtables simultaneously, and we'll leverage the wisdom of the people in the audience. So I have a friend of mine who has two and a half million subscribers on YouTube. So he'll do a roundtable on YouTube mastery. Uh, AJ Jacobs, who's a four-time New York Times bestselling author, will do a roundtable on how to become a New York Times bestselling author. And what they do is they kick off this roundtable with like a five to seven-minute best practice, and then it just becomes this general discussion. And that context and that be that ability to be able to kind of bounce ideas off each other and and just this group sharing that group knowledge, maybe it's huge value in that. Um, so again, year over year, I had to sell it as an event because when people land on a, a an event page, they traditionally they want to see who the speakers are because that's how they're going to gauge you know the value of the event consciously or unconsciously. But now that we have so much brand equity and brand momentum. Uh, we're moving away from you know having speakers on stage year over year. We have less speakers, and it doesn't matter like the big. And that's the beautiful thing about our events too. It doesn't matter the big names because we had we do a speaker competition where the best talk is voted by the audience wins twenty five thousand dollars. And at our first event, the first place winner, second place winner, and the four people tied for third, none of them were the big names. Oh no uh, way! Nobody knew who they were. Yep. Uh, before the event, and uh, oh, it was no just it, it was great for us. Yep. Because, you know, there were some people who spoke on our stage who charged $75,000 keynote fees. And uh, these guys who were no name, who just were really great at delivering value, who are these kind of like diamonds in the rough, in the rough uh, just, you know, kind of outshine them to some capacity. So, uh, yeah, we're in a kind of a, a really unique position. But there's a lot of people who are starting to disrupt the event space. Um, and I, I, a lot of people are starting to get – I mean, t Ted back in the heyday was was fantastic. And it, it definitely uh, – brought a lot of kind of notoriety to those short talks and, oh, and yeah. that kind of stuff. But I can't, I mean, I haven't watched a Ted, a, a recent Ted oh, yeah. talk in, in years. And it's, you go on their website, it's a cluster of like all kinds of crap that I don't care about. So yeah. Yeah. Now it's just noisy and anyone can, you can have TEDx my <laughs> and it could get approved. I think Ted did a great thing. For, you know, Ted did a great thing for thought leadership for any category in the world. Like you could be the smartest scientist in like, in Des Moines, Iowa, and you could own that category through a TED Talk. But now really, like, you know, our daughters could do a TED Talk and yeah. it would get a million views. TEDx, my living room, you have to do it. That is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that would be hilarious. Well, I, told you, I, I, I saw one even recently, like TEDx uh, Times Square. I know there's already TEDx like New York or whatever, but it's like now it's starting to be like, you know, monuments that they're getting like yeah. it's just there's just too many and and the, you can't the quality control when you have 
8,000 TEDx's, uh, you know, the quality control of like the speakers and just the, like the alignment of the brand, it, it, you, you lose it. And yeah. I definitely think they're, they're losing it. It becomes like so disambiguated because it's almost like you have franchises as if you would run a McDonald's and each one is a little different because the South has different food. The North has different food. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a great quote from 22 immutable laws of marketing, uh, the book, which is one of my favorite books of all time, which is in business, you either stand for something, or you stand for nothing. And now they just kind of, they've diluted the brand and they don't stand for much. And they still have some interesting people on there from time to time, but it's, it's, there's so much noise. Like you said, it's, 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 I just wait to see if somebody, if somebody shares or a few people share one talk on Facebook and it shows up on my newsfeed, I'm like, okay, maybe that's worth listening to, but I don't have the time to go, you know, find a needle in a haystack anymore. No, no. And I think my living room, I told you I'm moving, so I have more space. So I could maybe <laughs> I get a very well curated group of people, you, people you, in there. You should apply, dude. That would be hilarious. <laughs> TEDx my living room. Yes. Suddenly it's a franchise. Everyone, everyone <laughs> like from Toronto to Rio, they're doing TEDx my living rooms. It's very it's like the throwback to the old school Terra era of TED. <laughs> um, so for your your brand though, you've done a marvelous job though, because mastermind itself is a word that we all know. And you call the listeners to your podcast masterminders. Um, are the masterminders also the attendees of the of the conference? No, I've never. Yeah, so that, that's the one thing when I uh, I don't know why I, I call them at least the podcast listeners. I, I it's fun though. It's very accessible. Yeah, well, we I'm very much like I when you're in the internet space, um, best practice is to build an email list, and that's like that's your goldmine, and you just keep hitting that email list and do some affiliate products and all that kind of crap. Yeah. And for me. I, I can't do it. I can't do it, not even like bombard them with crap, but it's faceless to have these email addresses. I'd rather have, you know, with Mastermind Talks, I'd rather know 125 entrepreneurs in attendance intimately, know where they are, where they want to go, the name of their spouses, what keeps them up at night, like all that kind of stuff, than have an event twice the size and not know everybody by name. So I, I take the same approach to the podcast where I'm I'm not interested in, in building a large email list and and pounding that email list. I want to build a community from it. So we actually have something called the MMT community where if people go to that, it sends them to a closed Facebook group. Yeah, I joined that. Yeah. So yeah, That's so cool. we have like 350. And I, I saw all these friends in common that are in the group too. And it's all about creating community, yeah. right? Because that's actually one mistake I made. That's a very, that's probably the only thing of Facebook I really like. Yeah. Are closed communities that don't spam you, that just actually add value. Yeah. No, so we have like an ask and give model and that's what we use for mastermind talks and it works great. And it's it's great because I'm accessible in there and it's it's to scale. So it's if you email me, it's gonna be hard to get a hold of me. But in there, you know, if somebody asks a question, I can answer it and three hundred and fifty people will see it. Um, and it's just it's community and that's what I'm all about. So that's why you're just naming uh, uh I just putting an avatar to who the audience is to some capacity uh, makes people feel like they're they're in the know to some uh, to some uh, extent. And when I do a podcast, I'm really talking to the people in the community and more people want to join the community. That's great, but I'm not talking to the world. Um, again, like you, you, you can't speak to everybody's model of the world. So I, I'm very clear on who my community is. And every time I do a podcast episode, I really am only speaking to them. So then what's, uh, I have one or two final questions is what, what's your, what's your day to day like then with around the event? Oh, in regards to pertaining to the event. Yeah, I mean, for me, well, it's always changing because I mean, I'm, I really, I have no desire to scale this to be some big, big thing and run multiple events because uh, again, year over year, I want to really raise the bar, and that requires a lot of attention uh, to detail and stuff like that. So I do a lot of the legwork with the for the event myself when it comes to like. 
I'm just finishing up like invites for the event. So the event's kind of sold out. So now I'm in the planning process, the speaker selection process, um, all that kind of stuff. I have a countdown clock. So I'm 131 days away from Mastermind Talks as of right now. So that keeps me on, on task. And then once Mastermind Talks is done, I don't know what exactly what I'll focus on. It could be, you know, maybe I'll try to take a good run at my podcast because I kind of started it, you know, while I'm doing, while I was doing a lot of other stuff distracting me. Uh, maybe I you could work on a, a legit book. I don't know. Um, but yeah, my day to day right now, I mean, my main focus is Mastermind Talks because even though we're 131 days away, a lot of people think that's far away. <laughs> it really isn't when you want to raise that bar. So, um, so yeah. Pretty much day and night, I'm thinking about mass of my talks. And how much are you worried about money at this point? Or do you look at it like it's a longer term game? And I, and I, I asked, that's like in my own estimation. So uh, I quit my startup. I've been in startups and media companies as a marketing executive for like seven years. I left that world when I had a kid. I started writing my book. I started consulting on my own. I started the podcast. Yeah. I've made less money this year than I have as a professional. I could not be any more professionally prof- fulfilled. Yeah. And I need to make money. I obviously, you know, but it's like I'm patient enough to know that I'd rather make good money, sure, a lot of money than quick money now where I'm burning relations. You know, there's this give and take that I think it's hard to train yourself to think that way. Well, there's two things. I mean, A, uh, so first things first, uh, financially, I'm not where I need to be. Um, I'm definitely on track, but I'm not where I need to be. But I've never, kind of like you, I've never felt wealthier. Like I feel on top of the world on every sense. And when you just have that deep sense of meaning and you're doing something you love day in and day out, I mean, there's, there's nothing that beats that. With that said, when you're passionate about something, it's hard to charge for it sometimes. Uh, cause you're like, Oh, you know, don't worry or whatever. And, and that kind of stuff. And I know one was one of the, one of my weak points, Charlie Munger and uh, Warren Buffett have this philosophy that once a year they try to eliminate one area of ignorance and they're like 80 now. So they're, <laughs> they're running out of things to, uh, to eliminate. Um, but for me, it's, it's financials. Uh, I, I'm really good at making money and not so good at tracking it and, and, and keeping it. So it's like pouring water in a strainer. So I have two mentors this year who are just rock stars when it comes to finances. Um, so they've kind of kept me on top of, you know, the money side of things. So I know, you know, financially I'm comfortable and I have no desire to reach the financial success that I did before per se. And the only reason I would have a desire to that is, is more money to kind of do things with for other people and give back and and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, kind of like you, I mean, I, I stopped following the money with the, with this business, but at the same time you have to, you have to pay, have to pay the rent. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a balance, right? Yeah, totally. No, it's, but it's, fulfillment that you really can't articulate to some people sure they're not entirely sure why you've done this leap when there's you're you're not racing to make that next you know massive paycheck yeah i mean and the general rule of thumb is it'll come right i mean money is really a derivative of the the amount of value you deliver to people right and year over year our events get more profitable and people are willing to spend more money to be there and they don't bat an eye at it no i haven't had anybody this past year who said that's too expensive and the hamster wheel effect you know, you, you don't want to run around like you've quoted that before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, yeah. Um, yeah. That most of us build a business we hate to enable us to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. Yes. And yes. Uh, that can go like owning your own business or just being in a career when you have those golden handcuffs. Dude, this is great. Okay, cool. So it's great to talk to you. Well, I, I appreciate it, man. I think just being by being transparent about my journey, my hopes is that yeah. people kind of leverage yeah. my wins and avoid my losses. So, yeah, totally. Uh, so I, that's why I appreciate opportunities like this. You're like open source. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, man.
That was Jason Gaynard. Thank you so much for listening. I am extremely grateful that everyone has been tuning into the show, making it number three. We peaked on iTunes Business Podcast a few weeks back, as well as number 102 overall. So thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my backyard and my heart. Uh, as you can hear, there's cars running around, and I'm trying to, to do these in a big open space so I uh, relax more because I want to get better at the intros. So buy Jason's book, uh, Mastermind Dinners, Wow, that was really boring. I'm talking to you about getting better at podcasting. Anyway, Mastermind Dinners, um, I'll, I'll stop being boring, but his book is on Amazon. I highly recommend it. Mastermind Dinners, how to connect linchpins, influencers, and really uh, get value from giving to help other people. And make sure you email me if you want the free guidebook, ryan at influencereconomy.com, or hit me up on Twitter at Ryan J. Will. So uh, heading over to Duke Zebert's for some chicken in the pot. <laughs>